This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Living in Process is the work that was originally developed by Dr. Anne Wilson Schaefe and continues to evolve and be facilitated by longtime members of her Living in Process training. The Living in Process work is about living, spiritual living, and living spiritually. Dr. Anne Wilson Schaefe originally named the healing work she was doing Living in Process, LIP, in the early 1980s as she brought together her life experience as a Cherokee and the traditional ways she was raised with her vast education in clinical psychology and her life experiences living in Western culture, which she has named the Addictive System and the Technocratic Materialistic Mechanistic System. We all have the opportunity to live completely, fully, wholly, joyfully, and serenely with our spirituality expressed in every facet of our lives. Deep inside, we resonate with that promise, yet may have lost our way back. Living in process is an invitation to journey into that deep movement of the all-encompassing spirituality that exists in each one of us and feels in tune with the life force within and beyond us all, whatever we may choose to call it or however we may choose to approach it. Each of us has the possibility to move into our spiritual wisdom and link with the oneness of it all. We only have to remember and reconnect with what we have forgotten and moved away from. Many cultures of the world have no word for spirituality. In these cultures, spirituality is in the living. It is so integrated into life that it needs no separate designation. Yet, many of us have lost that integration as we try to cope with our lives. Living in process is the reintegration of the spiritual into all that we do and all that we are. By segmenting ourselves and our lives, we have reduced the spiritual to a very small corner of our lives. Living in process is about the relearning of living our wholeness. After over four decades of working with people around the world, Dr. Schaaf came to see that all human problems are ultimately spiritual. They result from our splitting off and compartmentalizing our spirituality and not recognizing it at all. Since we are all spiritual beings, our solutions to our problems must come from our spiritual wholeness. 
All healing is based in our spiritual wholeness. The secret of living a whole life is accepting and being wholly who we are as full spiritual beings. However, at the beginning of the 21st century, we find ourselves estranged from our oneness in God and ourselves. We cannot embrace the fullness of spirituality without accepting the reality of life as a process and participating in the process of our lives. We cannot be observers in our own lives and expect to know and experience our full spiritual selves. We must first acknowledge our role in the process that has created our present reality and accept our role as active participants in all of life's process in order to move in the direction of healing. We must see how our current worldview has contributed to where we are in our lives as a species and in so doing be ready to move to new ways of being and living. Valeria Tellis interviews Pete Sidley. Pete has been in the Living in Process training with Dr. Anne Wilson Schaefe since 1987 and has worked with her as her right-hand man and the group co-facilitator since 1994. He helped Dr. Schaefe in the process and production of all her books since the early 90s, including Living in Process, Meditations for Living in Balance, Daily Reminders for Living a New Paradigm, Native Wisdom for White Minds, and There Will Be a Thousand Years of Peace and Prosperity, and They Will Be Ushered in by the Women. Like everybody in the Living in Process work, Pete is doing his own personal recovery work and has been doing so for 35 years. He has traveled extensively throughout the world with Anne, organizing and facilitating workshops and training sessions, and also carried luggage, typed manuscripts, pushed wheelchairs, cooked, made travel arrangements, and was the memory bank for Anne in the last years of her life. Here is the interview with Pete Sidley. In your own words, who is Pete Sidley? Who is Pete Sidley? Well, I'm right here. I am a person that's been in recovery for pretty much my whole life. And I live in Arkansas. I have spent most of my adult life uh, working with Dr. Ann wilson Shave, who we're going to be talking about in a bit here, I think. And she was one of the most important people I've ever known. And I think she's awesome. And I learned a lot about spirituality and life and all kinds of things from her. And, and I'm grateful to be here. Wonderful. Thank you. So before we talk about the living and process, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. And the first warm-up question is, what is life to you, Pete? What is life to me? Well, I would say that the meaning of life is to live it. Actually, that's a quote from Anne. I also, another quote that I think has been important to me is what she said about spirituality is participation. And so I think that's a big part of what life is for me. It's just participating, you know, whatever that may mean. Like right now, uh, we're in the coronavirus and um, participating often is, you know, living here at my house and uh, doing the work that, that we're doing and 
walking the dogs and just dealing with whatever comes into my path and participating with it. Um, that always has made some sense to me is, is participation. And so that's what I would say is what I strive to do on a daily basis is participate in my life and with the people around me and the, and the planet and, and communities here and family and everything. Right. What would you say is the opposite of life? Well, for one thing, I don't, one of the things that I try not to do is get into a dualism of life or not life. You know, (laughs) to me, I call that alcoholic thinking. Your dualistic thinking. <laughs> so I, I can't, I, that sort of bends my mind in the directions that I don't usually go. And I didn't, you know, I, I could say there's things that I do that I think I would say take me away from life or take people away from life. And I'd say, no, one is addictions. I think when pe- one of the purpose of addictions is to keep us out of touch of who, of who we are and what we're here for and what we know and our spirituality. And I think there's a lot of other things that are you know, non-life giving, like certainly dishonesty. I think dishonesty is one of the big things, um, you know, of uh, what life is not. You know, I, I one time I heard the quote from, I think it was Gandhi or whatever. He said, truth is life and life is truth. And that really struck me. And I, I always find that just telling the truth is really life-giving. And I've also found that, that not telling the truth is really not life-giving. It's really non-living. But I, but again, I try to stay out, you know, I really don't believe that life is a dualism. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of frame things in, in that, in, in those terms. Yes. Now I understand what you're saying, that perspective that everything is non-dual. There's no right, right. Um, which doesn't take away the beauty of you being you, me being here in this body and nature. Uh, in order for non-duality to experience uh, itself, it seems like duality, it's needed. My next warm-up question is about freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Freedom to me, I would say, well, certainly unscheduled time is freedom. <laughs> you know, often with the work that we do, you know, there's, we have often are, are really busy, even during the, the COVID-19, we have scheduled meetings with our groups around the world and, uh, and other things um, going on. And so being busy often, I often find just being unscheduled, it feels like fr- freedom to me. So, uh, you know, I would say that's, that's one definition, but of course there's, it's, there's probably a lot of, of others. Um, I certainly f- feel free when I'm not being under attack, you know, recently, um, you know, sometimes people kind of come after us or come after it. And, you know, I, I think it's really nice when that's not happening. So that's what, that's what I would say about freedom. Yeah, I like that, Pete. Um, yeah, this, uh, the time, time, the idea, concept of time, and then the timeless. Like going back to that idea of separation, the opposites, it seems like they can't really exist without the other. They're kind of, it's this, um, through the, um, the rules of time and the physical rules and then the timeless, um, we are able, some of us, to combine those two and to bring them in harmony. And that's when uh, I, I'd say miracles happen. I was just going to say, again, I, I, I really don't, don't go in the direction of dualisms, you know, of one or the other. I mean, I, I do know 
what you're saying about timelessness. I mean, there's a lot of experiences that I have, you know, I think that people have that, that, that where time is really timeless. Like certainly, you know, recently as we're going to talk about, I'm sure in a few minutes and, uh, and died. And it's like the dying process was, you know, very, there was a lot of timelessness in that, you know, and even, even going through often some of the medical treatment, sometimes that was timeless. And I, I know that's true with birth too. And sometimes injuries or, uh, you know, that, and I also find it, uh, timeless often when I'm doing something that I'm re- just being really engaged, you know, um, being engaged in writing or being engaged even in playing baseball or whatever it might be, you know, I often find that is timeless or even, even being engaged in a conversation with a friend, you know, is, is often timeless. So, um, Yes, although we have to schedule. <laughs> and like you said, the freedom, not uh, having scheduled appointments, that very much resonates like freedom. Freedom from what, really? So I really love what you're saying in a way that everything is just life itself, that participation that you talked about. So in that sense, yeah, there's no, no duality, right? Yes, yes. But doesn't really take away talking about it. I guess that's the only thing because the conversation. This is the this is duality at play right now. But it's not a conversation about duality. And that I understand what you mean. But even the questions that I ask, it kind of implies that there is something else out there. <laughs> uh, like my next question: At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need, and what is your vision for a new reality? Um. Well, maybe I'll answer the second part of that first. I, I, when the vision for a new reality, I, I actually think that a new reality is a process. I think that we can't know what we need or what we might want or what, you know, what the world will look like and, until it happens. I mean, it's as we unfold, like I think it's easy to get for people to sort of, you know, name a utopia or picture a utopia or picture, you know, what it would look like. And I really believe that the solution is a process, you know, and that as we go around, like I, I really see that in, you know, in the world right now with the coronavirus. It's like, you know, one of the problems I think we have is is accepting process, accepting that we only know what we know right now. You know, we only have this much information about what the vaccines are and this much information about, um, you know, how it spreads. And, and, you know, it's hard to make a lot of decisions or or picture the future when we don't know. And I think as it unfolds, like tomorrow or next week, you know, we're always knowing more and we'll, and we'll always, you know, and that will help us as we, you know, try to deal with this. And I think it's the same with like changing the world, quote unquote, you know, it's like, it's a process, you know, we can never, I think, I think we're making a mistake trying to, you know, make a picture of it and then try to attain that. Uh, you know, I'm more a believer in process where, you know, we try to do the next right thing or try to deal with what we have right now and move forward and and see how the solution emerges. So um, that's how I would answer the second part of that question. I'm sorry, I forgot the first part of the question. <laughs> At this time, what is the world's greatest need in your opinion? I don't know. You know, I think I, there, we have so many needs. I mean, I think the planet is really hurting. And, you know, you know I, I, again, I think with all the problems of coronavirus and all the pain that people are in, you know, there, there is some 
good at the planet. There is some good things happening on the planet. You know, I was driving into town the other day and I, we uh, stopped to help a turtle get across the road. And, you know, there's no cars. And we were just saying like, wow, isn't it amazing how many turtles are, are living right now because of the coronavirus, you know, or how many, how much roadkill isn't there because of, you know, no, not so many cars. But, you know, I think that the, the earth is, you know, in dire need and, um, and, you know, the spirit, spirituality, I mean, I think, I, I believe that, you know, it kind of takes us to a higher level, the spirituality and, and we can, I, you know, I know from myself and I see in the people around me in different systems that when they are connected to themselves, they, they're not destruct, as destructive or they can move beyond petty grievances or petty conflicts or something like that. I think there's a lot of needs. It's hard to pinpoint just one. Yes. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, I like your um, comment about process. The same, the same way, I guess, we talk about healing as being this uh, continuous uh, work. In a way, it comes to mind imagination. So I'm wondering if being, just being here now and living whatever life brings, giving ourselves to life, which is a wonderful idea. I'm just wondering if that takes away imagination, having visions for a future that's not really a future. It's um, everything's happening now. So, yeah, I mean, I'd probably say so. Yes. Um, I, I think one of the important things is just to try not to get stuck on, on, a, on, an agenda, on my agenda. You know, like, yeah, I sure I can. I, I can imagine like, again, I, I know I keep talking about the coronavirus, but, you know, I think we have a lot of opportunities as a as a species and as a planet to grow, to even make a paradigm shift with what we're dealing with now, like to change some of the things that we're, we're, we are right now. And I, so I would say, I like, I imagine, you know, what it would be like if we, you know, drop some of the economic uh, beliefs that we have or some of the customary beliefs that we have and, and went a different direction, you know, of like sharing more or something like that. So yeah, I, I, I would say I imagine, and, and I don't, I think it's important, though, not to get stuck on sort of forcing my agenda to get to that imagination if it's not if it's not happening. So, but yeah, sure. Yeah, I agree, because it it seems like it's uh, that imagination is somehow necessary, so we can change the way of thinking first, and then in the process, uh, going to that point of being, like you call it, non-dual which is a wonderful vision <laughs> to live like that. My next question is about love. What is love to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's an interesting question because I, I'll share an experience that I had with uh, Anne one time, which really was important for me. And that is, you know, we were in Hawaii. We, we um, spent a lot of time in Hawaii. And, and I remember one time we were out, uh, garage sailing on a Saturday morning and I was in some sort of a bad mood of some reason I can't remember. And, um, she answered, you know, what do you love about Hawaii? And I said, what do I love about Hawaii? Oh my God, where do I start? I love the flowers. I love the land. I love the, the, the weather. I love the sky. I love the ocean. I mean, and I went on and on. And she said, she said something like that. That is what that is like a connection to a higher power. If you're in touch with that love, you're, it's a connection to a higher power. And I, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I think there's a lot of things, you know, I think, you know, when I'm 
at my best, I would say. I love everything. You know, I love my office that I'm sitting in and the, the bushes outside. And I love this conversation and, you know, and the, the sky and the, it's rainy and cold right now. And I love that, you know, and so I would say it's like a, it's a, I would say it's like a connection to the all that is. Mm, yeah. Beautiful. What is your understanding and idea of peace? Well, I, I would say maybe there's different levels of that. Certainly internal peace is one thing. And that probably is the, the, in some ways, the best kind, <laughs> you know, having internal just serenity. You know, I have a, a friend that did a keto for a while, and I, which I, I know very little about a keto, but I know what one of the things they talked about was, you know, like when they were throwing a, a movement at each other, like their idea wasn't to like combat, a, a, you know, a movement thrown at them. It was more like to neutralize it, you know, and sort of move with it and like kind of um, be one with it, or I don't, I'm not sure how to describe it, but, and I'm sure I'm butchering that. If anybody listening is into keto, I'm sorry. I don't really know that, but, but just like general concept of like, you know, taking something that's, that's not peaceful and like processing it and coming out the other end. You know, I think that's peaceful. Like I, um, there's a, you know, the, t the title of one of Anne's latest books was called There Will Be a Thousand Years of Peace and Prosperity and They Will Be Ushered in by the Women. And I know one of the things she talked about in that book is like, if, or, you know, women coming together and just talking often is just, is peace creating. And um, that makes sense to me, actually. Yeah. Yes. What, where, and who is God to you, Pete? Well. First of all, I think that God is a process. There, again, I'm, I know I'm, I'm quoting Anne all the time. As I mentioned, she was my biggest teacher probably. And one of the things she said was, you know, why would, why, why would a static God create an unstatic universe? And that, I just thought that was brilliant. You know, and, and it's, that's almost kind of hard to wrap my, my head around even. You know, but I, I do... I do think that's, you know, my own personal experience of, you know, kind of coming to, you know, growing up, I had, I would say no, uh, I was going to say no awareness of God, but I, I would, it's not even that. It's like not even no conceptualization of God. Maybe that's more because I do think that we all have a relationship with God, whether or not we know it or not, you know, with a higher, with a higher power or, a, you know, a, a, the great mystery or whatever, the creator, whatever you want to call it. I think we're all part of it. And so, uh, you know, so that, so growing up, you know, I, I do think I was, I was part of, uh, you know, the creation and the creator. And I think as I came came along and gr have grown up, you know, it's, I guess my concept of God or my experience of God, I, I like to focus more on my experience of God more than my, my concept of God. My experience of God has just changed, you know, like I think, 10 years ago, if you asked me this question, I probably would have had a different answer than I have now. And same 20 years ago and 30 years ago, because I think, you know, the the creator is changing and I think I'm changing and we're all changing. And so that's what comes up for me about that. Yeah. I have two more warm up questions. What do you think is the purpose of life itself? To live it. Yeah. 
Do you think we all have unique purposes, missions, and uh, unique gifts? Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I, I sometimes I someone said to me, you know, we're all we're all part of the spiritual puzzle, and if we don't take our place, then there's an empty puzzle piece in the in the in the whole you know quilt of life. So, I, I, yeah, I do think we all have our unique place and our unique purpose. Um, obviously, I think a lot of people don't know what that is. And, and again, you know, I'm going to always harp back to this, but I think it's a process. Like I would think, I think, you know, my purpose and our purpose is, is changes. And, um, and, and some people's may stay more the same. But some people's may change too their purpose for being here or whatever. So again, I think it's about participating and seeing what's what the creator has put in front of you and um and to live participate and live your life and your purpose un- will unfold. Mm. What do you think is your unique purpose at this time, in this moment more precisely? My unique purpose? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my purpose right now is talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's really great. Yeah. <laughs> really great. Um, so let's talk about the living and process. Um, so my first question is, who is Dr. N. Wilson Schiff? Schiff. Okay. Uh, Anne was... Um, she was a writer and a lecturer and a seminar leader and... She recently died about three, four months ago at the age of 85. She, um, she was raised in a traditional Cherokee upbringing. Um, her ancestors came over. Uh, I'm not, we were a little unclear if her ancestors came over on the Trail of Tears or if they came over before the Trail of Tears, but her Cherokee ancestors came over to this area in Arkansas, Oklahoma, and they raised her in, in the traditional Cherokee way. Um, one of the realities back in the thirties and forties when she was growing up was that they were taking the native Americans to the residential schools. And so since she passed for white, uh, her parents never told her that she was uh, Cherokee. And so, but, at, but at the same time, you know, teaching her all the, the, Cher- the you know, the Cherokee ways of life. And so Anne, um, g- grew up kind of all over the United States, her family, her dad worked for the um, government. And so she had a, a feeling of sort of being at home all over the United States and eventually went to college and um, became, uh, had, got her PhD and was originally a psychotherapist for a while after, after she finished all her studies and stuff. And, um, she started writing her first book was called, um, women's reality. It came out in 1981. And she, since, um, after that, she wrote, uh, 17 more books. And, um, one of her books was called when society becomes an addict in which she, um, compared Western culture to an active alcoholic. And, um, she wrote a lot about women's issues, women's issues and, and what she saw in the culture and um, she had some meditation books. I think her best-selling book was one called uh, Meditations for Women Who Do Too Much. And um, and at the same time, she developed this work called Living in Process. She, she actually left the field of psychotherapy 
and um, the, and this that whole scientific model to create an alternative form of healing based on her life experience and her Cherokee upbringing. And this work called Living in Process, um, she uh, was developing and participating with and uh, had training groups um, all, you know, in, very, uh, in, in Europe and in South Pacific and North America. And so she, she, um, she was just a very wise woman. I, I, I think of her in, um, as an, you know, her Indian name was Sacred White Eagle Woman. And that was given to her by the great Frank Fool's Crow. And um, Fool's Crow told her that the, the, the two of the things that were important about her name was one was the, the word eagle, you know, because the eagle flies higher than all other animals and sees more. And the second was women, that it was really important that she was a woman to carry on the work she was doing. And I absolutely, um, those are two very important things to me and what I saw in Anne and, and one was her eagle, certainly her eagle eye vision. I mean, she just, she just saw a much broader, bigger picture than, than any, really anybody I've ever seen or known and, or heard of. And that's really comes out in her books and in her speeches and in her, the way she lived her life and the people she taught. And, um, she just had a, she was just a great, great, very important person. I think that affected all, uh, you know, impacted a lot of lives and, um, yeah, so that's, I'm sure later I'll think of more things of wonderful things to say about her, but she was, she was just great. And that's all, that's what comes, comes up for me right now. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. What was the inspiration and intention for creating the living in process? Well, again, uh, you know, I, it's all, it was all about process and I, she was really good at, following what was working you know her experience was that the that the the, the psych, psychotherapy wasn't working you know that it was it was she was she felt she felt like that you know the psychotherapist had too much power and that it was helping people adapt to a sick culture which wasn't what she was about and she just you know i i remember her telling stories about you know having these workshops and she would just get together uh, i think originally at first it was a, all women and that the women just had all this rage that they had to process and, and they and and it wasn't like they even needed to do much they just needed to sit down and talk and and let it come and i think that was a lot of how you know the living and process work has always been a process and has always is, is has always evolved and is always and is still evolving now and so i think you know um that was uh, a big piece of how it start, started. And then, and then um, I think a little while later, she started doing a lot of work with addictions and recovery from addictions. And she wrote a lot, a lot of her books are about addictions. And um, so that became part of the living, a big part of living in process work was, you know, recovery from addictions and, and um, this, what she called the deep process work, you know, the, 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 the inner um, stuff that, that processes that would came up with people when they, you know, had the time and the space and, 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 you know, weren't using something to, to keep it down. And so, um, all that sort of just evolved. And, and again, I, I, she, I don't think she had a vision of like, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what it's going to look like. 
as much as like, this is what's working and let's, let's go with it. Like we even, even today we say at our, sometimes people ask questions about what we do at our workshops and, you know, we say, well, we don't really have like a cookie cutter model of what we do at each workshop. It depends on who's there and what issues come up. And I, I think that's really how Anne has always functioned and how she, uh, you know, worked with the living and process work. Um, this is following the process and what fit and what was needed. Right. It resonates like true in a way, because that's what life is. Yeah. There's no rehearsal. No. Yeah. It's very organic. You know, that was one of the things that I really liked about it. It's very organic. It's not, you know, we're not trying to manipulate people or get somewhere else. It's sort of like what comes up, you know, with the people that are doing the work is what's, what's there to work with. And that's, I love that. That seems, that seems so right. Yeah. What is your own experience, Pete, with the living in process? Well, I actually, um, I, I, used, I went to the University of Colorado, and that's where I met Anne. I, uh, I was in a, that was, my, my college years were the worst four years of my life, and I was absolutely miserable and uh, using addict. And I um, called up Anne, you know, I heard about her work, and I, I called her up, and they, and they, uh, told me about her workshops and I went to one of her workshops and I just, I just felt like I was, I went, I, I was at home. I just, I loved her. I loved the work. I loved the honesty. And, um, so I, that was in 1986 and, um, and I've just been involved ever since I, I, you know, any, any living and process function, um, that I could get to, I got to it, you know, uh, all over the years. And I, I just always found it as just, um, you know, I was finding Anne really inspirational and um, the work was just really helpful to me personally. And, and I saw other people around me healing and, you know, dealing with all kinds of um, illnesses and issues. And, and I just that was always very inspiring to me to see people heal, healing, learn, learning, healing and growing and uh, getting better and, you know, being able to come at the world in a more peaceful, loving way and sober. And, um, so that was, that was what, that's how I got involved. And that's why I've stayed. I, I eventually, um, started working with Anne, um, helping her facilitate the groups back in the, I started in the early nineties doing that. And, um, and then being her assistant slash manager for basically the last 25 years. And, um, so, yeah, I just, again, I just love Dan and I love the work we're doing. And so I, I, it was easy for me to stick around and it's been a great ride. <laughs> um, yeah, her work sounds very spiritual to me. And before I ask you questions about the living and process, um, more detailed, uh, I guess, direct questions, I have to ask you these first. Uh, what is spirituality to you and what is the difference between spirituality and religion? Well, again, to me, um, I, I'm going to quote Anne again because it makes the most sense to me. And what fits for me is spirituality is participation. It's really simple. I mean, there's not even a lot more that I can say about that. Um, the thing that's different for me about religion is I think spirituality is deeper and more encompassing than religion. I think, you know, um, you know, Anne used to talk about how living in process goes beyond like rituals like it was you know before we were um disconnected from our spirituality we didn't need rituals you know we didn't have rituals and it's like that's something that we 
that I, that kind of came later. And I think that's what religion, you know, I think of religion and, uh, and, and a lot of other ways of doing things, not just religion, you know, kind of start to can depend on some of the rituals or the form and, and lose sight sometimes of the, of the spirituality. And so, um, there's a big difference to me. You know, I, I, um, yeah, sometimes when I, when I go to some religious ceremonies, um, it's just, it's like a different level of spirituality, um, or something. It's just, it's more educational or intellectual sometimes, or, or even ritualized. And I, I just think that spirituality is, goes much deeper than that or further. And, and I think everything is spiritual, frankly. Right, right, right. Yeah, so I read the information you sent to me, which says each of us has the possibility to move into our spiritual wisdom in link with the oneness of it all. Talk to me about this, I have to use the word concept or idea of oneness and wholeness. What is it? Well, I think the reality, you know, it is a reality that we are all connected, whether we want to believe that or not, or, or, or acknowledge that or not. I mean, we are, we are connected, you know, it, it, it's, that's the, that's a fact. And, um, you know, whether, you know, I know people talk about, you know, being individual and doing things on our own. And the, the, the reality is, is that is not possible. I mean, we have to depend on, you know, the, the farmers to get the food or the, you know, and we have to depend on the nature to provide the, provide the food. And we have to, you know, depend on somebody to transport the food. You know, it's like, no matter what, we are connected to things. And, and, um, I think, uh, you know, I feel pretty good, you know, when I can remember or feel that connection to every, to, to the oneness. And, um, I think it's often, I know for me, for sure, for me, before I got into this work was one of the problems I was having is I didn't feel the oneness. I felt totally isolated. And, and I didn't, I remember walking in the mountains in Boulder, Colorado and thinking, I, I can't feel the mountains. I can't, it's like, I see them, and but I'm like, there's nobody here. And it's like, I, I'd sort of lost my way from the, from the connectedness of that. And, um, I think that's a big problem in the world right now is people, are, you know, they lose their way or they lose their connectedness with the, with the, all that is with the, you know, the fact that we are, we are one, you know, with the earth and you know, we are the earth. We are part of it. We, we came from it and we go back to it. And so that's what I would say. Yes. Um, yeah. And you also said um, the, on the website, the material sent to me said exactly that. We only have to remember and reconnect with what we have forgotten and moved away from. Why uh, it's so easy to remember the pain and the separation. And it's so challenging to remember the oneness. Do you wonder why? No, but I think that's a really good point. I think that's part of part of what we have to do is deal with that pain and, and illness. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's like, again, quoting Anne, she said something like, you know, we can't change without transform transformation and we can't transform without change. And what that, what that means to me is like, you know, we may want to feel better and, 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 
and feel the oneness. But the truth is, is we're dealing with our, you know, awful abuse that we had as a child. And it just, that's all we can see. And the good news is that, there, that healing is possible, you know, but we can't just pretend that it's not there and sort of walk over it and look past it to this holy feelings or holy connectedness. And, and I, I, you know, absolutely, I see this in the living process work all the time is that people face into the pain and feel it and go through it and work through it. And that's what I mean. Like then they, once they've transformed or they've changed, then they can, they're in a different place and they don't need to, you know, try to bat down their feelings or, you know, numb themselves in some way. And so I think it's just really important to accept what is, you know, and if that's pain, uh, that healing is possible, you know, and it's hard to do that if you're trying to deny it all the time. So it's, it's an interesting sort of paradox. You know, if you, if you feel the pain and you go into it, then you can come out the other side feeling the connectedness. I and mean, that's absolutely my experience. And I, and I see that all the time with other people. Wow. Yeah, that's wonderful when we have the courage uh, to do that. It, it takes courage. It does, yes. Yeah, so speaking of the pain and all that, that brings me to the topic of addiction. It seems like uh, addictions, they're very much connected to the past, especially the obsession with something, that solid reality, that we illusion that we create in our minds. So I guess that's my question. What is your definition of addiction? Well, I think it could be that, what you just said. And, and it, it could be other things too. I mean, I think it's, it could be really broad. I mean, often, you know, I've, I've heard um, alcoholics talk about how, you know, they don't know why they drink. You know, sometimes they drank when they were happy. They drank when they were sad. They drank when it was sunny. They drank when it was rainy. You know, they drank when they wanted to. They drank when they didn't want to, you know, and that it's, 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 you know, they, they, they don't know it's a disease. And so, um, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what causes it. Um, I just know that recovery is possible and see that, you know, with people all the time that they've overcome, uh, addictions and, um, can, can, can get past it. It's, it's easy to get to try to get caught up in trying to analyze what it is. And I, I, I think it's more productive to just, you know, um, try to work with it and work in recovery. And, uh, they, you know, I've heard this phrase, you know, analyzing is, or is dying or something like that. I can't remember the phrase or something like that. <laughs> analysis paralysis. That's uh, what it was. Analysis paralysis. Uh, and yes, in many ways, that's true. Um, do you believe in being recovered? I do not. I, again, as I, um, my mantra seems to be process. You know, I think I'm learning about process all the time, even, you know, more and more all the time. I'm learning about how everything is, is process and everything is in process. And I don't, I don't just don't think it's, anything is really static. Any, you know, it's, it's impossible to be, I mean, even, you know, when you say like, who is Pete? I mean, I'm not static, you know, and I know again, the native Americans from what I've read, um, and, and heard is that often they would change their names as their, as their life went on. Like they'd have a name when they were younger and they'd have a name when they were older and then they would name when they were even older. And that makes so much sense to me because we're different people as we, 
as our as our as our process unfolds. And so that's that's really the same way I see recovery. It's like it's a process. It's it's never going to end. You know, it's it's. Um, I mean, like uh, you know, one time I heard a good analogy that I liked is like if you take like skiing, if you're going down this the hill, you can fall, and you can recover from the fall and get up, but it doesn't mean you're never going to fall again. And that I, I like that that analogy always kind of spoke to me of like instead of trying to focus on like I'm you know. I'm recovered and that, that's it. I don't have to do anything anymore. It's like, I, I just don't believe that, you know, even no matter how quote unquote spiritual one might get, it's like, there's, there's always more work to be done. So. Yeah. That makes me think about enlightenment, the idea of enlightenment, of a destination <laughs> of getting there and staying there. Yeah. From what I, I hear, and it sounds incredibly inviting and interesting, and it is being there, but at the same time here and in process, as you say, and healing. There's no, uh, there's no there there, right? Yes. Hmm. And everything might be it. <laughs> and in the end, uh, the there and here is just one. <laughs> there's no two. Um, so I have a few questions left um, before I ask you my final questions. I read on Anne's website about the living in process, uh, different uh, steps, stages or different uh, areas, the individual healing and then family learning, institution growing, societies, deep process work, and then the planet's new paradigm. Talk to me about these specific areas. Sure. Well, in in her book, Living in Process, she's got these these spheres, and it's like each of the things um, that you mentioned are different spheres. Like there's the sphere of the self, and then there's the sphere of the family, and there's the sphere of the community, and there's the sphere of the nation, and then there's the sphere of the planet and then there's a sphere of the universe and all those things are sort of separate and intertwined at the same time and you know like for example one of the things we talk about at our facility in montana that's where we have our a lot of our workshops and stuff like that and we have this old hot springs hotel it's about 125 years old and um we've been renovating it for the last 30 years or so and you know one of the things that we have said there is like you know, we can't heal the people until we heal the land and we can't heal the land until we heal the building and we can't heal the land, the building until we heal the people. It's like, we're all, we're all connected, you know, in that way. And, you know, I think that's, um, you know, we don't do the work of living in process is on a, on an individual basis. It can't be, we are in context. That is that is the, the reality is that we are all in context. And, you know, as we heal ourselves, you know, our family gets healthier and the community gets healthier and the planet gets healthier. And, it's, you know, it's, it's all intertwined, you know, and, and, um, you know, I'm thinking we were talking the other day about Samoan medicine, you know, and traditional Samoan medicine, you know, someone would go to a Samoan healer, you know, with an illness and they, and they, the, the healer would say, well, what's wrong in your family that this is happening to you? Or what's wrong in the, in, in the environment that you're around that this is happening to you? Or what's wrong, you know, it's like looking at the broader picture, not just, you know, you have a virus or you have something. It's like, what's wrong with 
all the spheres. And that's what, that's what we're talking about. It's like, we're all connected. Again, it's all connected and any kind of healing that we have on a smaller sphere is related to the, the, the healing that we have on, on the bigger spheres. So that's, that's what I would say is that's, that's what comes up for me with that. There's a lot, there's a lot within that, but that's in a nutshell, that's, that's something that's, that's, that's how I see it right now. Yeah. I love that, that everything's connected and dependent on one another. Right. Yes. Yes. And then I guess my last question for you that just came to mind is how do you envision, how can, how do you imagine the whole planet and everything that's in it as everything, people and nature healed? Well, again, I, I don't know. I, I, I often think of, you know, what it was like for the Native Americans. You know, there was, or, or actually I'd, what just popped into my mind was the, the Native Australians, the Australians Aboriginals. You know, they lived on this, they've been here for, I don't know, 50,000 years or something like that. And, you know, they've survived. They never destroyed the planet and they got along. And I mean, of course, you know, I'm sure it wasn't perfect, but they, you know, they, this place was, was pretty good, you know, years and years and years ago, you know, and I think it's the same with North America, even that uh, before the Europeans came there, it was a lot more peaceful here and a lot more healing and, and cooperation and, um, working together on stuff. Uh, so I think it can be done that we all, you know, can work together in harmony. And again, I love the title of Anne's books that there will be a thousand years of peace and prosperity and they will be ushered in by the women. I do think that the, the women and, and indigenous peoples, um, have something inherent in them that they can bring to this planet, um, and help us, help us heal. And, um, Again, I don't. I don't specifically have a picture in mind. I, as I mentioned earlier, I do think it's it. It would be a process, and that the solution will unfold. And uh, and I do think that we have had it here before, you know, with the Native Americans and Native Australians and the Native Islanders and all all the, the Native peoples of the world um, had a much more peaceful existence than and supportive existence than we have now. So. Oh wow. I like that, Pete. Yeah, that in a way we don't need uh, imagination uh, because we already have um, reference from societies that came. They were here before the new ones, right? So would you like to say or add anything before I ask you my final questions? Uh, no, it's just enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you for, for calling. <laughs> Thank you. Go ahead. I'm ready for the finale. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is success to you? What is to be successful? Again, the, the, probably my answer to that question is going to change over time. I think, you know, being myself as a success and, and growing, learning and growing and healing and striving to be the best person I can be and, you know, pr being of service, I think is a success and contributing to the planet. Participation. I think participation is a success. So, wow, sounds really good. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? Oh my, I'm 56. There's way too many. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me about it. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I I just, I, you know, I, again, I I like I was saying earlier. I I do think that any anytime I come in. Uh, 
touch with things that I don't like about myself or pain that I have. You know, my modus operandi is really to try to face into it and work with it and deal with it. And, you know, I've certainly um, had lots of uh, material to work with. You know, and and I've been doing my work and trying to get through it all. And um, so... um, I think I'm doing pretty good. And I, I can't, I can't say there's one particular thing that, that was really the hardest for me to get over. So, yeah. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Mm, well, I, I don't use those terms. I wouldn't use those terms. I would say that everything I, that hasn't been my experience. You know, I think we're, I, I might not speak for myself, but I think it's true in a really Western culture is that unconditional is something that we really, uh, I don't know that we have a, tons and tons of experience with that. You know, I think we have growing up in a dysfunctional addictive system that we've grown up in, you know, there's so much con- conditional things and so much, so many twisted dysfunctional things that it's, uh, I, I don't know that, it, that, 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 myself or any one person can can 100% of the time have unconditional love at least not at least not that um grew up in an addictive family or an addictive system which i think is what we we all grew up in at least in western culture um however i will say that that recovery is possible i do think that we can always get better at it you know and um learn grow and heal you know so I, I, again, like everything else I'm saying, everything is, I would say everything is a process, you know, that I think, I think we can always progress and get better at it. And I don't know that anything's going to be a static one-time thing that you'll always be that way. I, I, I probably, I don't know that I would say that about anything. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I like that. Unconditional um, self-love being a um, practice in the process. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so I have two more questions here, perhaps three, perhaps. Um, if you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving the body, would you change anything about your life or do anything differently? Not today. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> that, that, I mean, the reason Not I today. Say because that's the kind of question that we ask ourselves a lot, you know, especially in light of the fact for me personally with and just dying you know it's sort of like it was such a shock with her death and it's really it sort of brings home it's almost like the whole, the world looks totally different to me now than before she died and it's just it's I've never had anybody so close to me die and it's just like my whole worldview has changed and so that's the kind of question that I'm always asking myself like what do I want to be doing what do I want to be doing is this am I doing the right thing today you know is this what I want to be doing and so honestly I don't I can't I can't say that you know, we spend a lot of time in Hawaii. I'm often thinking, God, I wish I was in Hawaii, especially on a day like today when it's cold out. But that, but really, I'm I'm really satisfied today, and I'm 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 glad I'm here. This is the right place for me, and I'm doing what I need to be doing. And um, so, for today, I would say that you know I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing today. Yeah, that's a wonderful answer. Do you believe in life after death, or oh, any kind of life after death? I think so. Yeah. I, you know, again, well, I think one of the things that, that made sense to me is, you know, the Native American, uh, I don't know what to call it, belief, I guess, that life is a circle. I was talking about it, life is a circle. And so I think I would say that 
my belief is that, that that extends to afterlife too. You know, that we, you know, if we, if we have something that we need to work out in this life and we don't work it out, that we get another chance to work it out in another life. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, Um, it's impetus uh, to get us going and to, to do, you know, to do our work. That's, that, that, that's something that Anne used to say and quoting her. Yeah. Yeah. And what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Three things that I know for sure. I for sure life is is a process. Absolutely, life is in, life is a process and it is in process. You know that was again one of the things that that I that I think is totally obvious, but that most people don't see is that everything is moving. Everything, you know, my computer is moving. You know, it's not the same new computer that it was a year ago. You know, and the pages of a book are moving, and and humans are always everything's moving. Everything about us is moving. So I would say certainly. Um, that the only thing that constant is change, you know, things are moving. I'm not sure what else that I can definitively say. I mean, the sun is going to come up, but you know, God, who knows? <laughs> and I think coronavirus has been such a, a, a kind of a good learning in like, if, you know, if you thought you could count on certain things, I think coronavirus has sure changed a lot of people's minds about what they thought they could count on. You know, like who could who could have even pictured that the that like you know these big major cities could completely shut down? I mean, that seems impossible to me that everybody would agree to that. And there you go, there it was. You know, so it's oh, wow. Thank you so much for your presence and your wisdom, and for being genuine, your honesty. Thank you. I guess my last, last question is, where can we find more information about you, your work, products, services, and future projects? Uh, livinginprocess.com, www.livinginprocess.com. Um, there's also a lot of information on uh, annwilsonshafe.com, www.annwilsonshafe.com. Both of those um, have, we put the workshops workshops up on um, livinginprocess.com, and there's more information about Ann's books, and um about the work and uh uh, how to contact us uh stuff like that so thank you so much again pete and we'll talk soon okay thank you very much it was nice talking to you yeah the same here bye for now thank you for listening to learn more about pete sidley please visit his website livinginprocess.com To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bigrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.